This is episode 446 of the Macworld podcast for March 5th, 2015. We're brought to you this week by Harry's, a better shave that respects your face and your wallet. By lynda.com, high quality video teaching for whatever you want to learn. And by Chipolo, you'll never lose track of your phone again. Hello, everybody, and this is, yet again, not Chris Breen. This is the unfamiliar voice that I hope will soothe you as we talk about topics. Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor to Macworld, and I am joined by Susie Oakes, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hey, Glenn. Nice to talk to you. I was going to say see you, but I'm, I'm, this is not a visual medium. This is a medium of the mind. It's nice to hear your voice again. And likewise. This is a good weekly weekly project here. Um, and so we, we're going to start with follow-up. We have some follow-up from our first episode. It's Great. very exciting. Uh, so I said something completely inaccurate and didn't realize it. But fortunately, we have listeners who pay attention and then uh, post comments at, because you can, of course, post comments on this at Macworld.com after you listen or on our SoundCloud uh, page. You can also leave comments as well. Uh, so I said when we were talking about uh, your excitement about new emoji that would be more representational and include more kinds of objects, I said that Unicode was invented in Japan, which is ridiculous and inaccurate. <laughs> and I'm terribly sorry. We were talking emoji were invented in Japan by, I think, like one guy did the original artwork and um, then that expanded. So Unicode is a consortium. It involved uh, Google and Apple and other people. And it's now it's now a, uh, you know, started in kind of one group. And now it's a industry-wide consortium with lots of participation. It's not a company, but a, but a nonprofit um, entity. And Unicode incorporated emoji. And so I'm, I'm very sorry to everyone that I uh, implied that Unicode invented emoji because that would be ridiculous. Or that... Unicode was invented by people in Japan. My apologies. <laughs> Every once in a while, people are wrong on the internet. It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. It's true. But it's important to say when you're wrong, and then and then we can move on. Um, the other thing is we got uh, questions about, so um, Macworld uses SoundCloud for hosting, and it uh, might be worth talking about that for just a moment, because uh, SoundCloud is an, an interesting company in itself. Um, they're, uh, they're, we're intended and still focus a lot on music and helping independent mus- musicians, kind of like Bandcamp. There's a bunch of, uh, different, uh, sites that are focused on audio and, and, uh, musical artists. And sometimes they have big artists involved, but often it's a way for people to distribute it. But, um, SoundCloud is a really, uh, easy way to upload spoken audio and for podcasts, it's great. But, uh, someone encountered this problem where if you have cookies blocked from third parties and maybe even from first parties, and you don't accept a site's cookie policy, then he wasn't able to listen via SoundCloud. That's what I thought was an interesting problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. It's, yeah, it's, uh, and it's tricky, too, because it, uh, maybe they changed it. There's a, uh, the European Union passed uh, some regulation, I want to say, in the last two years, because all of a sudden, I'd go to sites and I would see this odd pop-up that said this site uses cookies if you don't like it you know read more about our policy and you'd have to click to dismiss it and you were essentially tacitly accepting that you understood that cookies would be tracking you on the site and soundcloud does business worldwide i think it may uh, i know someone who works for it based in berlin so i'm not sure if they're not even a primarily u.s-based entity uh and uh, like the economist i remember all of a sudden they started splattering these messages all over the place so um you know let us know if you're still having this problem i think you should be able to you should be able to accept the cookies for SoundCloud and not have to accept third-party cookies and have it work. But if you're listening to this, I guess you don't have the problem. When we post the the 
podcast on the site, um, you know, we just embed the SoundCloud file, but would another workaround just be to subscribe to it via iTunes or with a podcatcher like Instacast or Downcast? Yeah, that, that's That would right. get you around that, right? Exactly. So if you're trying to listen, I think it may be a, an edge case where people are trying to listen from the site. And you could also download the file uh, directly from the embedded link and SoundCloud without, I think, accepting the cookies either. So let us know if you have problems. We'll look into that. Uh, uh, there's a related thing with podcasts. Uh, Susie, someone pointed out something um, amusing about our logo. <laughs> oh, yeah. This was kind of funny. We got an email. So um, you can email us at podcast at macworld.com if you have some feedback that you'd like to share via email. And we did get an email from a listener down in Australia. And he was helping some people with their iPhones and had you know an, an older person who was trying to advance um, the playback of the podcast and kept tapping on the play pause button that's actually part of the podcast artwork. So he said, hey, you know, not so user-friendly there. You might want to rethink that. And you're absolutely right. That that shouldn't be there. It is confusing to have a little play pause thing right there on the on your phone while you're listening to the podcast that doesn't actually work. So um, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Um, that was one of the things like we just came in and, you know, it was already done and we said, hey, that's done. No need to redo it. But I guess there is a need to redo it and we will get that redone. I'll talk yeah, to the art fun- director and we'll get something spiffy looking that doesn't <laughs> confuse anybody, hopefully. Well, it's part of the evolution of podcasting, too. If people mm-hmm. listen to more more than just this podcast, they know that a lot of podcasts talk a lot about podcasts because we're all trying to <laughs> explore the medium. And, and one of the, the, the deals is that um, podcast art used to not be displayed. The, the cover art uh, used to not be displayed as frequently, I think, as it is now. So suddenly it's much more prominent. And uh, even things like show notes. Like I remember a few years ago when I started a podcast that – uh, it was completely impossible or unreliable to use HTML in your show notes. Even when you encoded it right, it was usually ignored. So there was no place you could access the show notes and do something with it. And now between Overcast, a lot of these other apps and some websites and so forth, you can actually have uh, embedded HTML and be able to do nice looking lists and hyperlinks. And uh, and I think it's kind of, it's a nice evolution because otherwise you're listening like you folks now are listening. And, and uh, if we start, rank, you know, spewling uh, off uh, long URLs, you're not going to be able to write those down. And then you have to go find the show notes. And if you can't click in the show notes, then what are you doing? So uh, you can always go to macworld.com to find show notes, but they're also inside uh, the thing you're listening to right now, very likely, whatever you're listening to. Um, I want to mention one other thing too is uh, we're ramping Mac 911 uh, back up and uh, I'm collecting more user questions about OS 10 and related issues and integration with iOS. Uh, so please do send questions to Mac 911 at macworld.com. And if you look at the current column, which will be up by the time you listen to this, you'll find that we have a phone number too. So if you want to leave a voicemail message with your question. We might do some audio work. We're seeing how that might work and, and uh, offer Mac 911 with some audio uh, as well as in written form. So uh, please feel free to use that number as well. Uh, and speaking of helping people, Susie, I think we should take a break and thank one of our sponsors uh, because this sponsor is is all about helping people. Lynda.com is uh, helping to bring you this episode this week. And uh, we know Linda for uh, – I've known Linda actually for, for decades. And uh, Lynda.com is a site you go to when you want video training about – 
any kind of topic that you that you can think of. They used to be focused primarily on the visual creative, and they still have hundreds and hundreds of hours of video training by people very well known in the field. It's exquisitely produced. This is really high quality work on Photoshop, Illustrator, photography, even 3D animation programs. So that may be what you think of when you think of lynda.com, but they also have a lot more now, and they're adding new courses every week. If you're looking to get up to speed on a programming language, you can go to Lynda now and learn about it, but also... If you're already an experienced programmer, they're now adding classes on new frameworks. So as new ways of using a programming language emerge, you can go to lynda.com and get that visual training. They've got courses on business as well, too. So if you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to learn more about managing your time or how to get out of a rut even, they have some inspirational videos about people who do great work in the field that you might be in or, or want to get in. So if you haven't checked out lynda.com in a while, it's worth it. And they've got a deal for Macworld listeners and readers, you can get a 10-day free trial if you go to lynda.com slash macworld. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash macworld. They've got more kinds of videos and so many hundreds of hours of content. This is an all-you-can-eat model. You go and get your free trial, and over that 10 days, you can watch however many hours. You could stay up for 10 days straight, watch your 240 hours of video, and there's no charge at all. But yeah, Take a staycation. More- <laughs> this is my Linda staycation. That's what mm-hmm. I'm going to be doing. Uh, and, you know, learn how to use uh, everything in uh, Adobe uh, Creative Cloud, for instance. But uh, th- this free trial, I think, is worth taking a look at if, you're, if you've never used lynda.com before or you need to revisit it because you're not sure what they have. Go to lynda.com slash Macworld. Get that free 10-day trial and check out what they have to offer. And thank you, lynda.com, for being one of our sponsors. Do you want to hear a funny lynda.com story? I do. Okay. So Chris Breen was handing down a lot of his knowledge before he left. And, you know, we were kind of running out of time and I was getting panicked. One of the things he used to do was the Macworld video. We're bringing that back very soon. And he would use screen um, cast. Uh, I'm sorry, ScreenFlow to record that. So oh, yeah. I've used ScreenFlow, but not for a while. And I was like, hey, Chris, do you have any kind of tutorial on ScreenFlow? And then right after I sent the email, you know how you ask somebody for something and then you immediately <laughs> like figure out where you should have looked for it before you asked? I go to lynda.com because we have a site license here. It's part of our internal training here at work. We can watch any Linda courses we want, and they're fabulous, like you said. So I go see, hey, I wonder if Linda has anything on ScreenFlow. Of course Linda has something on ScreenFlow and the instructor, Mr. Christopher Breen. Oh, my so, God. That's irony. Isn't that great? Said, that's excellent. So the I actually got to learn said- Chris's screen flow techniques <laughs> from Chris on a video. I didn't have to bug him about it. I could take notes. It was great. So thank you, Linda. I used to send, uh, when I was working with Marco Arment on the magazine, I used to send him emails. And almost invariably, I would send him an email with an elaborate question. And by the time I'd written it out, like five minutes later, I'd figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I'd just write. And he said, you're training me not to reply because you figure it out before <laughs> before I have time to answer. Yeah. All right. That's Story great. of my life. Uh, that's great. Yeah, ScreenFlow, great, uh, just like un- unprovoked mention. That's a fantastic app. It's very complicated, but it's it rewards 
the time you spend with it because there's so much you can do. And uh, it's funny, screencast, well, we should talk about that. It's what we'll talk about right now. But screencasting, like it's seen as kind of a thing, you know, like Macworld would do and people in technical documentation. But man, is it great to just do a screen capture or screencast to show anybody anything. And the software is not inexpensive. So we could talk about that at some future point. We'll talk more about ScreenFlow. Uh, one thing that is contemporary that we need to talk about is, uh, so um, I, I unfortunately did not get an invitation to this event. I'm feeling sad, Aww. but not too sad because I know you're going to be there, Yay. which is great. Yep. There's uh, we, we present so March 9th, this coming Monday, uh, Apple is doing some kind of thing involves springs. Maybe they're making, I don't know, like perpetual motion machines. That seems it's possible. Yeah. They'll just be perpetual. They'll just be like an Easter egg hunt. They'll just get us together, and we'll all wear bonnets. And Apple is acquiring the Slinky brand (laughs) on March 9th. They're announcing it, so we expect that springs have something to do with uh, stems and watches and so forth. Uh, We got a little more information this week too. Uh, Tim Cook uh, spoke not candidly, but gave out a little more detail. So, what do you think is going to happen on? On Monday, you'll you'll be there. Are they going to make the big announcement? Is it going to be more revealed? There, there's a suspicion that Apple might not give us any more information before shipping. So what what do you expect will happen? So the event on Monday, I think, is just going to be more about the Apple Watch. Um, when they r- unveiled it last September, we got, you know, the broad strokes of kind of the built-in features, the fitness tracking and the communications and the notifications since then, in November, they released WatchKit for the developers, the SDK, for them to write apps and glances for the watch. So I think that you know Apple will continue its tradition of inviting a select group of developers up on stage to show off what they've done. And I think that's really going to help um, complete the story for why people need this. Um, Apple's calling it the most personal uh, gadget they've ever made. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a different use case for every person. And we all know what actually activity trackers do. We all have seen, you know, the promise of notifications on your wrist instead of on your phone screen. That's nice. But I think the add-on value of apps is going to make this um, a really compelling product. And then they also have to fill in some details that they haven't told us yet, like um, expected battery life and, of course, the pricing. We know that (laughs) it'll start at $350, and that's got to be for the Sport Edition, which is, you know, made of cheaper materials. It's aluminum instead of stainless steel doesn't have the sapphire crystal cover over the screen, and it comes with the most modest strap. From there, I mean, who knows? People are guessing that the solid gold edition could be five figures. So, uh, you know, Apple has to reveal that before it goes on sale, and then we'll find out, you know, what the situation is with pre-orders and where people will be lining up to buy or not buy the Apple Watch. Okay, I want your prognostication. We'll put it in an envelope. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what, what do you think the gold, what do you think, the, I mean, there'll probably be multiple kinds of gold watches. It sounds pretty certain there'll be price points in there. There won't just be one because they don't, you know, luxury items, you typically don't have one thing unless it's a thing of perfection. Right. So what's your guess? Just say a number and we won't hold, it, hold you to it. What do you think the gold watch is going to cost? The gold one? Um, the edition. Ooh, I don't know. I think maybe I'll split the difference. People have been saying five and, and 10. I'll split the difference and say like 7,000. I'm going to be crazy and say I think it could cost twenty thousand dollars. 
really. The- but I think that I think the twenty thousand dollar watch, if there is one that expensive, I think it's going to be an ultra premio one. That's like even more so that they might not have a base edition, but there might be different features. Someone pointed out very uh, wisely that this strap is not solid gold, mm-hmm. and the the things shown. And if that were solid gold, uh, industrial designer I know was talking about this on Twitter, and that would add like more than. It would, there'd be more gold in the strap than in the watch if they did that. And it's also very difficult, he says, to make gold be as elaborately functional as what Apple is doing. It's very difficult to work it that way. He wasn't sure it was possible. And so it maybe they can't release a gold strap or they're you know focusing on it. But so I'll say $20,000 just to be an outlier. And, uh, and then it'll wind up being 12500 between the two of us, I'm sure. Uh, so one of the things that Cook uh, Tim Cook slipped this week or, or maybe – purposely disclosed is you were saying like we don't you know we don't know what the use case is for this thing um it's a watch and people are going to get it because it's cool but uh, and i think you know I, I don't ever subscribe to the fanboy theory there is some core audience of people who are going to buy all kinds of stuff of any industry because they love the maker um there's people who probably buy every um, every vacuum cleaner from dyson i don't know <laughs> um, uh, you can look at that with uh, what's the uh, notebook thing, the moleskin style thing, uh, cliff, uh, field notes. I mean, people buy literally buy every single field note out there that comes out all the editions because they love it. So there'll be some people who do that, but they have to have a use case for the rest of us. And, and I haven't seen anything compelling for me yet the way I run my life. But Tim Cook said, hey, imagine this could unlock your car. Does that for you or do you think for an audience of uh, potential buyers does that say to you oh okay well that's that's another piece in the puzzle for why I might want this thing yeah definitely um, what I'm really hoping that they show on stage are some home kit demos so I saw a bunch of third-party home kit products when I was at CES in January and the companies were all pretty you know vague about when they'd come out like eh, sometime around March or April wow that mm. that kind of rings a bell and so the iPhone I feel like we're all really used to the iPhone kind of has become the remote control for your life you know you can order yeah. a car you can order a pizza like you can you can have things brought right to you like from your phone you can do work we all know what you can do with an iphone anyway when you're at home all of a sudden you know all the convenience of an iphone it's so suddenly not so convenient when you have to take your phone out and unlock your screen to turn a lamp on you know it's still more convenient to just reach over and flip a light switch so i feel like the apple watch has a really great potential to become the remote control for your phone and also the remote control for all of your home kit stuff if it's strapped onto your body it's there all the time suddenly it's going to be a lot easier and more convenient to do these things. And I think that might push adoption of some of this HomeKit stuff if they really integrate it well and the watch becomes your, you know, your little butler like sitting there on your wrist. I, I totally agree with that. And I think there's also, um, I had this, I had a literal vision. I don't usually have visions. Whoa. I woke up one morning and in my head, so you know, there's this story about Nikola Tesla. He was a super, super genius. And one day he saw in his head without any previous work, the entire functioning of an alternating current uh, power plant. And then he just built it. He drew drew the plans and built it, right? Uh, I am not Nikola Tesla. I had done his voice in radio plays, but I'm not Nikola Tesla, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, And I'm not that brilliant. But I did see suddenly, I was thinking about the watch and suddenly I saw exactly that, that it's the, uh, and I wrote a quick blog post about it to get the idea down. It was that 
it's the iHub, right? The iWatch is, there used to be the, uh, the the digital hub was Steve Jobs' thing uh, more than 10 years ago, I think, with all the, with the iLive suite and iPhoto. And it was all about the computer is the center of your digital life. And now I'm like, oh, the watch is the, the hub around which all things rotate. So you have HomeKit, HealthKit, AirPlay, CarPlay. It's identity for Apple, Apple Pay already. Like we know that's part of it. So suddenly this becomes your identity and it becomes your remote control, as you say, and it becomes the thing that you always have with you because it unlocks every aspect of your life. And then you have to ask, does Apple have plans with family sharing or other tools? Could I use my Apple Watch or maybe some, maybe it's not the watch specifically, but can I, can I, having that identity, can I give someone the ability to drive my car if they have an Apple Watch? Um, could I give someone the ability to get in my house at a certain point in day if they have an Apple Watch? They could walk up and use it and I can give them a temporary pass just like Find My Friends lets me someone uh, follow my location for an hour? Can I have someone have authentic, uh, authentication and, and uh, identity for a little bit? So it's all kind of, then that is sort of, I don't know the adoption part of it, but I think it's exciting to think about that as a convenience factor instead of having multiple devices or multiple things you have to work with. Yeah, definitely. Um, Starwood was one of the app makers, um, Starwood Hotels, they were mentioned at oh. the unveiling specifically that they were going to make you know some software that would be able to unlock your hotel room door with your Apple Watch. So yeah, being able to unlock your house, unlock your car, like these are all totally doable things that I think we're going to see pretty quickly. So I'm really excited to see what developers they get up there on Monday. I'm actually more excited further to see the apps than I am to see the actual watch because I wasn't at the thing in September. So I haven't even seen this thing in person yet. Oh, yeah. So I'm really stoked. It's going to be great. I'm curious about one other aspect too. I'm not sure. I imagine a lot of listeners because Apple Watch has been talked about so much know this, but we should reiterate that in this first pass, the uh, the way in which apps will work with the watch is it's almost like CarPlay. It's almost like you're, you're pushing information. I don't think it's going to be streaming. I'm not sure of the exact setup, but you're essentially the phone is powering your watch app. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, and there's going to be some native Apple apps that'll let you do stuff directly on the watch, of course, but it's, it's this first generation is going to have a bunch of limitations because of that. And, uh, and we know that. And then we also know Apple said that I think it's even later this year, isn't it? They said later this year, there'll be a full SDK and then you'll be able to start working towards creating apps that will run natively on the phone with, I'm sure, extremely severe limits, just like with the early uh, iPhone apps where Apple was ma- managing, you know, network usage and scarce battery life and, and uh, other factors. Yeah. Battery life is, is the big question that we haven't, that, we, that Apple still needs to answer. Maybe they figured out how to turn gold into batteries. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Dense battery gold. Um, or maybe there'll be, there'll be Apple potato. You just stick the Apple watch into it and the potato will power it. Uh, potato power. Uh, we should thank another sponsor before we go on to our next topic. And I would like to uh, bring your attention to a company that is making um, something that's related to the idea of finding things and identity. It's called Chipolo. That's C-H-I-P-O-L-O. And you find them at Chipolo.net. So if you've ever lost your phone and uh, if anyone listening is trying to pretend that they haven't, we know you're not telling the truth. If you've lost your phone, it might be nice to have an easy way to find it. And there are a lot of devices on the market now that use Bluetooth as one of the components to help you find your missing thing. So Chipolo has tried to take these ideas and and go further with them. So you get a a device, it's called a Chipolo, uh, that's paired with 
your phone. It's got Bluetooth in it and comes in nine different colors. So you can customize it to whatever you like and you shake it and your phone will start ringing and that's it. So you can find it somewhere in the house. It's a really great idea. Uh, you know, it's under the couch. I had this time once years ago, if anyone remembers what a pager was, uh, my housemate and I at the time, we thought there were many earthquakes happening in the house. We could not figure out what was going on. A guest at one of his parties dropped his pager. It fell behind a couch cushion and the pager was so powerful. It shook the whole couch <laughs> when he was calling it to find it. This went on and on. So I, I don't know if Chipolo can shake your phone that severely, but uh, but that's the idea is that you have a thing you carry with you more reliably, like your keys or something on a keychain. You shake it, your phone rings, and, and that's great. So here's one of the unique aspects that Chipolo has. Uh, first of all, they've designed it so that it's loud enough you can hear it, right? The second is, it has replaceable batteries. Now, I've seen this, some of the early NFC and Bluetooth devices that are meant to be like a little application-specific device like that, they don't have replaceable batteries. So you yeah. have six months or a year, two years, you have to replace the device. And I know that's changing. So Chipolo's come out of the gate saying, we're going to make it possible so that the battery's replaceable and you're you know only paying for a tiny little thumb battery and not for the whole thing. So... Look, you can get this thing. It's tiny. It's only a little bit bigger than a keychain ring. You can attach it to different places, and uh, you can get your own at chipolo.net. That's www.chipolo.net. Give them a try. Check this out. Nine fun colors to choose from. So thank you to Chipolo for being one of our sponsors this week. So uh, last week, we were talking about Google Wallet and Apple Pay, and uh, you wouldn't think a week would make a big difference, but then Mobile World <laughs> Conference happened, MWC, uh, and uh, a whole bunch of stuff happened. Now, you were following, uh, there was a ton of IDG folks at uh, at MWC, and um, so you were following that quite closely. I, I heard two things. It was rumored after we did our recording last week that Google was going to come out with something called Android Pay, and uh, then another company we're rather familiar with uh, decided to announce its own system. What's, what's going on all of a sudden? What's heating up in the things named pay market. Yeah, so pay everywhere. Um, everyone wants to pay wirelessly. And Samsung had their um, event at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona on Sunday. And yes, yeah, some of my friends were there from PC World and GreenBots. So huge shout out to them. They're doing a great mm -hmm. job. Um, yeah, Samsung announced the Galaxy S6 and S6 Edge, which are its two new flagship phones. And surprise, surprise, they've built in a feature that they're calling Samsung Pay. And it sounds kind of just like Apple Pay, but better. Um, they're using the same... What? I know, I know. What? Stick with me here. It's crazy. <laughs> okay. They're using the <laughs> same tokenization thing. So you don't actually give... Your credit card information isn't stored on your phone, and it's not passed to the merchant. Um, they're also aping Apple's privacy um, focus in that Samsung doesn't get any data about where you shop or what you buy. And they're using NFC. Um, Samsung phones have had NFC for a while to use Google Wallet. They use, you know, tap to pair with NFC speakers and stuff. So the um, Samsung Pay will work with NFC. But Samsung also bought Loop Pay, which was a startup that was um, yeah. developing a technology that would do a mobile payments with a regular magnetic stripe reader credit card. Um, uh, Amber Bowman, who used to be on staff here at TechHive, she just did a a piece for Greenbot comparing Google Wallet to Loop Pay, and she said, "Wow, you guys, Loop Pay is actually pretty great. Like, because you don't have to look for an NFC terminal to use it." 
You just hold your phone with this loop pay dongle that um, you're not going to need anymore because they're building it into the new Samsung phone. Um, you just hold that next to the stripe reader and you know the the, the transactions handled from there. So it's going to be accepted out of the gate at a lot more places than than NFC. And they and they kept kind of you know harping on that in the presentation. They said, okay, NFC, it's only in 10% of merchants and. They never said like th- this is this is what makes it better than Apple Pay, but you know they they did take a couple swipes at Apple during the keynote, so everyone sort of knew what they were talking about. But well, yeah, anyone it, who's watched War Games knows about magnetic stripe payments. Uh, you just stripe, the, you just suck that data off the magnetic card, and you can use it anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, so, I'm, d- I'm dating myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I've seen War Games. It's on TV a lot. It's <laughs> okay. Um, there are still ATMs, so I wonder if you'll be able to use it with ATM machines, but probably probably not. Especially around here, they have. Uh, parking meters and stuff that you can use credit cards with, but you usually have to shove the credit card way into something. So it might yeah. not work with those, but just the ones in stores that you swipe yourself and, and the whole slot is kind of exposed there. I think that's what Loot Pay is designed to do. I haven't tried it myself yet, but I've heard that it works really well. So if Samsung is building all that into the phone, that's going to be really convenient for users of that phone. Um, they also have to do the work that Apple did to partner with banks. Um, they said they're going to work with City and Bank of America, and um, they've already got Visa, MasterCard, Amex. So, so ho- maybe Apple did some of the groundwork for them, and the banks are like, "Yeah, you know, Apple Pay is working out well for us. Let's do Samsung Pay too." So, this could really drive mobile payment adoption. This could um, entice merchants to. You know, they don't have to get NFC to use Samsung Pay, but once they see how convenient it is, they might want to roll out NFC to so they can, you know, Apple Pay and Android Pay, um, which is also starting with NFC. So um, it's it's kind of nice to see big competitors in there. I mean, the the you know, it's fun to giggle about how they're all just using the same name that Apple did, but <laughs> but this this could be good for the overall market. I don't know. What do you think? Well, it's getting confusing. I think is is the Big issue is, but I, I think it's good for consumers overall. I think it's good for consumers and merchants. It'll reduce fraud and it'll make it more likely for transactions to go more smoothly. So I think that's all good. And it means less reliance on cards that can be stolen and, and all that. So I think that makes it that makes it easier. And there's also more privacy. The more people that use these solutions, I mean, this is why we were laughing at current C, it's current plus a letter C, that the uh, some stores uh, re- uh, department and other stores have partnered on because the technology is sort of ridiculous. And I don't think it's ever really going to fly the way they're talking about it. But the other part is those merchants want to grab this information. When you have anonymous transactions like this, Apple and now Samsung, and, and very likely Google with its Android Pay and sort of the new Google Wallet system that we were talking about last week that they're working on with carriers, uh, those are going to be much more private compared to a credit card transaction or and especially compared to current C. So that's a huge win. And uh, stores and other kinds of marketers are going to lose a lot of valuable data. And we're going to gain more, uh, um, Not uh, it's the opposite of transparency. It's like obscurity with our transactions. Uh, so I'm trying to keep track of this a little bit. So we have Google Wallet, which is the pre-existing technology Google started to roll out in 2011. And you can use that on the website, but you can also use it with phones. And then they just did a deal with three major U.S. carriers so that Google Wallet will be pre-installed. They licensed technology from the carriers that were they were developing separately. Google Wallet will be pre-installed on uh, phones by those carriers starting some point soon, right? Mm-hmm. Now we've got – so then Google announces – we hear again this last week. So Android Pay – 
There's a difference between Android Pay and Google Wallet. Do you understand the difference yet? I'm tra- still trying to sort out Vaguely. exactly how these are going to be distinct. Be distinct. Yeah. So Android Pay was also announced at Mobile World Congress by our friend Sundar Pinchai, and it's going to have an API layer so that um, other companies can use it in stores and in apps. So that sounds kind of like Apple Pay. They're going to start with NFC, and then eventually they want to explore biometric sensors for security. Um, yeah, but it's they, they didn't say that they were going to stop doing Google Wallet. So I, I don't understand how why Google has like two things sometimes. They've got Chromecast and Android TV and... I th- I'm not sure if they really. Th- it's not clear, like what what the difference is between Android Pay and Google Wallet. Um, yeah, from what I can tell, uh, they're going to keep Google Wallet. I mean, a, it's a brand and people are using it. B, it's widely deployed, and Android Pay doesn't exist yet. C, I think Google Wallet, from what I can tell, uh, I believe it's going to continue to be outside of the mobile environment as well. So mm-hmm. it'll work across a range of things, unless I'm misunderstanding that part. It seems like that will exist. So I wouldn't be surprised if they eventually sunset Google Wallet as a thing and transition entirely to Android Pay when that's established and has kind of a, a nice smell about it. But I wonder if uh, it's, it would be more confusing to people. I'm sure there's merchants using it and so forth. Like if they got rid of Google Wallet today, would that um, would that make people think like they're getting out of the payments business and then there's a new thing that's not ready to go. So uh, they may just be holding back until they can have a unified experience, maybe something like that. Yeah, or they might be hoping that Android Pay is kind of the back end and Google Wallet is the front-facing thing and then other companies can, you know, also build on the Android Pay back end. That's what it sounds like. They want people, I mean, Apple hasn't really gotten into that part yet. You can build Apple Pay uh, as a mechanism into apps, for paying for real world things, which is kind of cool, um, and that's that's a neat infrastructure. But it sounds like you know Android uh, or uh, Google is trying to leverage what they often do with Android and say, look, we have an environment in which we're going to expose stuff to you, and you can do stuff with it in a broader way than Apple will allow. Uh, the other thing I think it's worth pointing out is I don't feel like there's a lot of money in here at some level because when you read about um, Apple's deal with the credit card companies and, and merchant banks and so forth, their their deal wasn't, you know, we're getting five cents on every dollar's worth of transaction. They're getting really, really tiny slice of the transaction uh, amount. And the point for them, I think, is if I and I don't think I'm I don't think I have to like peer inside the Apple boardroom to know this, is they want lock in. And the more you have unique features that are convenient and keep people in your ecosystem, the better. So if you're only making fractions of a cent on every transaction or on every dollar of a transaction, it covers your costs in operating it. And we've kind of seen that with iTunes um, and their whole music ecosystem, that they make different kinds of money in different parts of it. They don't necessarily make a high margin in every part of what they sell in you know the media side. And so I'm, I'm imagining that uh, Android, or sorry, sorry, imagine that Google and Samsung are going to have the same sorts of deals. They're getting very, very thin amounts, but they need this both for parity with Apple and to have competitive features in Samsung's case by using the the LoopPay uh, technology to make to have a brag that they can go beyond what Apple will do. The one other thing I want to point out, though, too, is uh, in reading about LoopPay, it doesn't work everywhere, right? It works on a lot of terminals, uh, but it's not like a supported thing. So. The other question is, if you have a technology that, and you know, we've seen this with the Apple Pay rollout too, if you have a technology that you can use 
some places, but you never know if you can use it. You still have to carry all your credit cards with you. So until you have complete ubiquity, then is it useful? So if, you know, how much more of a hassle is it for me to swipe a card if I don't know? I take my phone out, I hover it over the magnetic reader, it doesn't work, and, my, and it's a mult, it's a few-step process as well uh, compared to Apple Pay because the thing doesn't sense, or at least the early descriptions, doesn't sense the uh, presence of an NFC reader in the same way uh, that uh, it does with the magnetic stripe reader. But so maybe it's a slightly more complicated uh, thing, maybe not terrible, but it's a little more complicated transaction. And I have to have a card handy. And so I do the thing and then Samsung Pay doesn't work. And I'm like, all right. So then you put the phone away, then you get your credit card out and then you swipe it. So you have to train people to do things. And, and I wonder if that'll hold back adoption too, even though it's a really interesting feature and a really interesting way to bring uh, the payment out. Like, will there be compelling features for Samsung Pay that have people preferentially take their phone out rather than their credit card, even if they don't know if the transaction will work? Yeah, people are just going to be waving their phones around in checkouts <laughs> everywhere. It's going to be the new, like when you get stuck behind someone at the grocery store who's writing a check. Oh my! And God. you're like, why are you writing a check? It's 2015. Give so me a second. I'm just going to wave it over the reader. It'll be again. like no, that. It'll be like, it. wait, wait. No, no, the phone's not on. Okay, now it's on. Okay, I have to unlock it. I'm still oh waving. Nothing's happening. Well, yeah, that, that, will, that could be fun. <laughs> that's going to be a joyous day. I, I look forward to spending more times in lines. That's, uh, that's always fun. Yes. Uh, well, before we go on to our next topic, we should thank our last sponsor this week, which is Harry's. And Harry's is a very interesting company. Um, they don't make phones. You know, there's always this metaphor of making razors or making razor blades. Uh, and, you you know, some people sell the razors. Some people make the money off the razor blades or vice versa. Harry's makes razors and razor blades. So, hey, there you go. Um, what, what Harry's is, is they're a razor company that is trying to bring the advantages of disintermediation, which is a word I love. And uh, they've been at this for a while. And in fact, one of the founders of Harry's also is uh, was one of the founders of uh, the eyeglass company, Warby Parker. And we're seeing this in a lot of aspects of the internet. And I kind of love it, which is that when you have intermediation, you've got all these middlemen between, say, the razor factory, and you have distributors and shipping and then retailers. And then the retailers lock up the razor blades because they're so expensive behind them. And it's a whole deal to buy a razor blade. And they cost a lot of money because there's lots of people taking their piece in the middle and there are often quality issues you can pay a lot of money for something that's not that terrific so harry's feels so strongly about what they're doing that they bought a german razor blade factory in order to produce the quality that they wanted to it's a 93 year old german factory they like the blades so much they they bought them it sounds like a, another kind of club i could i could tell you about uh, and the idea as well is because it's factory direct they can offer it to you for a relatively low price uh, without giving up anything on quality. They have a starter set that's $15 for a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. That's an amazing deal. And uh, they'll ship it for free to you as well. So it's not only less expensive, but it's higher quality. And uh, you don't even pay for shipping. You don't have to go out to a store. Nobody wants to leave their house and shop for razor blades. So you can get it directly from Harry's. And where you find them is with this special deal we have for you from Macworld, you go to harrys.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and type in the coupon code Macworld and you'll get $5 off your first purchase. So it's not even $15 for this starter kit. It's uh, 10 bucks and shipped for free to you. So if you would like a close shave using high quality blades and not have to be asking 
a retail clerk to unlock a display case like you're buying, you know, something secret and odd. You can just get this delivered to your home uh, and uh, and subscribe. They also, um, you know, they've got, uh, you can get them delivered regularly as you go through Razorblades. It's a great deal. Harry's.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Coupon code MACWORLD for $5 off. And thanks to Harry's for being one of this week's sponsors. I've got another question for you about Mobile World Congress, w, uh, MWC. So Apple uh, isn't, doesn't really have a presence there, as I understand it. It's not you know, like other things. They don't like to show up to trade shows. Yeah. So the news about them doesn't come out, even though the entire event is sort of like it's the figure ground. There's so much happening in reaction to Apple as well as new things. Uh, but one of the things that I heard talked about there was something um, I've been following cellular technology forever was 5G and I heard this term, I saw a bunch of articles come out, people talking about hundreds of gigabits per second and yada, yada, yada. Uh, did, you, did you see any 5G news coming out of, uh, out of MWC? Did that cross your desk? Um, not too much. Is it, uh, is it kind of one of those theoretical things where they're, you know, they're working on the spec, but we're not going to see it for a few years? That's kind of what it seems like, and um, it, it's an interesting thing because uh, the iPhone, remember when it was introduced, it was using 2G technology, yeah. second generation, uh, which was very, very slow. I and mean, they're using Edge, which is technically 2.5G, so you could get literally hundreds of kilobits per second if you were lucky. And then <laughs> Apple was able to get the battery life it wanted and very quickly you know, release a 3G phone, and then there were 3G plus phones, and there was talk of 3.5G and then 4G. And it, it's kind of a complicated thing. I've, I've tracked this. In fact, if you look through the Macworld archives, you will find many articles by one Glenn Fleischman trying to explain generations and speeds uh, because the cellular industry wanted to use terms before they are ready. So the, the current state of the art is LTE, long-term evolution is the name of it, and it's often called 4G LTE. But what's interesting is the quote-unquote 4G that was introduced and is still in use was not really what was supposed to be defined for 4G. 4G was supposed to be much faster and have a bunch of other parameters, but it wasn't ready. Uh, and LTE continues, it does continue to evolve and get faster, and there's new flavors of it and better support. Uh, but this 4G standard is actually not really, in many ways, faster than 3G. It has different characteristics. 4G is all IP. So it's essentially all internet protocol, where 3G was still, a, in, in all the different implementations, was still a melange of different things, of old technology and new technology. Um, and we can see we're still lagging on 4G. I, I was just writing... I just written a, a update to a book about networking and security in iOS 8, and I went to make sure I understood what the state of LTE voice is, or, or it's a voice over L, it's voice over LTE, V O L T E, mm -hmm. which is all uh, it's not digital voice or HD. I think HD voice can be a category of this, but it's a protocol that lets you do voice conversations on a cellular network entirely using LTE standards, even though LTE was delivered years ago, and we've had phones with LTE in them for years, there's still no intercompatible standard among carriers to do digital voice calls using this fastest flavor. So when you're on a Verizon network with a, th a 3G phone, uh, it used to have to turn off data and you go to 2G. And even now, there's some phones, uh, Apple's phones do not do this, but they can do LTE and uh, 2G phone calls at the same time. So you can still get the data flowing. Um, so it's, it's really complicated. So we're not even totally mature in the 4G market, in in my statement. We won't, you know, we're getting there. Um, 5G is 
estimated to be able to deliver gigabits or maybe hundreds of gigabits per second, but there are lots of parameters around it that aren't defined. So there's kind of a working definition, but there's no specification. And even though there was a lot of talk about it, um, the estimate is it's at least five years and probably more away before we saw or we'll see a real 5G network in deployment. So if you hear these things, and oh, you know, the other thing is there's, there's an estimate that carriers are going to spend $1.7 trillion in the next five years worldwide to continue to bolster and expand 4G networks. So um, they're going to have a little invested money in 4G. It's going to be a harder sell unless there's an incredible use case for 5G to start rolling out the trillions of dollars to bring 5G to the market. Yeah, it seems like the technology is moving a lot faster than the infrastructure. And so maybe we'll see this in, you know, a smaller country like South Korea or some someone who's kind of on the forefront of, of internet speeds. We'll, we'll get it long before we will. And then when we do, you know, the carriers are going to drag their feet a little bit because they don't want to spend trillions of dollars <laughs> upgrading the networks that they just upgraded for 4G. Well, let me ask you this too. When you're out and about with an LTE-enabled phone, do you find yourself going, oh, no, it's too slow? I mean, do you have that no. reaction most of the time? And you're in San Francisco, Bay yeah. Area, so of all places. Yeah, it's pretty fast. Um, the bus that I'm on to go home at night, I take a commuter bus, and it has Wi-Fi. And when I started taking that bus, I was like, ooh, wow, Wi-Fi on the bus. And I put it on, and it's like edge. My phone goes so much faster <laughs> without it. So, yeah, someone else started taking a, a different bus line that you know recently installed Wi-Fi. And they were like, look, Wi-Fi on the bus. And I'm like, have, have you speed tested that Wi-Fi? Because it's probably pretty terrible. You're yeah, a bus the, full of people backhauled over 4G, probably. They probably don't have a LTE uh, interface for it. Right. Yeah. And if you had to do something on your, your laptop, I mean, it's nice to have there, I guess. But if you're just, you know, playing stuff on your phone, like, yep, that cellular network is, is pretty good and it's going pretty fast. And I mean, but, you know, I thought 3G was good and then 4G was so much better. So, yeah, everyone likes their phones going faster, but I think it's going to be a little while. Well, I guess one of the things about 5G that, that is probably going to be one of its selling points is that it'll be very densely installed. So they'll have, I mean, that again, that's a real estate issue. I shouldn't say again, but this is, this comes up with every generation. If you want to put more towers or cell devices, you know, you look at every gas station, every building in San Francisco, I'm sure has cell uh, towers on top of it and the buildings get paid for it, which is, you know, it's a great ancillary, ancillary source of revenue. Mm -hmm. But if you want to build a denser network, so maybe you need to have 5G sells like every block, you got to license, you've got to work deals with all these landlords and spaces, more equipment to maintain. But I think the idea is that if you really could deliver 100 gigabits per second, and it, even if it's only over a short distance because the bandwidth, uh, the frequency allocations that will be available will be in uh, higher frequencies in which the signals uh, carry more data, but over shorter distances with the same amount of power. So the limits that will be put on it will probably mean that 5G won't allow you know uh, miles or thousands of feet of transmission at anything like the stated speeds. So you know we're still working out how fiber optic and other things will be deployed in America, to be sure, and in other countries to get uh, broadband at home and in offices. So maybe 5G will wind up being a bridge technology. It'll make sense if you have a 500 gigabit per second technology that you could actually you know replace home broadband. But I guess that is the thing is like if LTE continues to improve and we get modest bumps and I could get 50 or 100 megabits per second to my phone, I don't need more to the phone unless I'm, I don't know, am I downloading Blu-ray movies to my phone to stream at home later? I don't know. I just, I, video is usually the use case. And I think we're approaching a point at which if everything is consistent, we're not going to have a bigger pull to mobile devices. 
Yeah, and it's hard to get, you know, an unlimited data plan now anyway. If we're going to start downloading movies to our phone, I mean, you're going to be able to do that like once a month and, <laughs> and then you're cut <laughs> off. So, yeah, lots of oh, questions my goodness. still. Well, I think, uh, I think we've discussed, uh, unless no, there's a new payment system that was developed while we were recording this. <laughs> it's possible. Oh, my gosh. Uh, HTC Susie Pay. Pay. <laughs> Tell me more about Suzy Pay. This is how you pay Suzy. Suzy Pay, you just send me all your money and then I buy what you want. Oh, my gosh. I, oh, I like that plan. Uh, d- delightful to talk to you, as always. Yes, thank you. Twice being always. Uh, this has been episode 446 of the Macworld Podcast for March 5th, 2015. Thanks again to this week's sponsors, Harry's, Lynda.com, and Chipolo. And we will see you at these coordinates next week. <laughs>